in an online article from 2020, the blogger Fred Zespel writes, Our pluralistic society scarcely knows a greater offense than that of Christian exclusivism. To insist that Jesus is the only way of salvation and that faith in him is required for that salvation is viewed as intolerant. From their standpoint, the exclusivity, the exclusivity, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) The exclusiveness, we'll try that assumes the existence of absolute truth, that it may be ascertained, and that it delegitimizes all competing religious claims. And yet, since its beginning, the church has taken this exclusivist stance. In their own pluralistic world, the earliest Christians insisted that Jesus was the only Savior, and that apart from faith in him, all is lost. This quote gets to the heart of this morning's message, where we are going to answer the question, is Jesus the only way to God? And if so, is conscious faith in Jesus required for salvation? And so as you can tell, we are no longer in our Summers in the Psalms series. We, Lord willing, will get back to the Psalms next summer. But for the next five weeks, before we get back into our series through Luke, we're going to take five weeks and we're going to try to address some really important key questions related to the Christian faith. As you can see, this morning's question is this, is Jesus the only way to God And if so, is conscious faith in him required for salvation? Now, as we start this morning, I'm guessing that most of us in this room fall into one of three categories, one of three groups. The first group is made up of those of us who believe that Jesus is indeed the only way to God, and we also believe that conscious Faith in Jesus is, in fact, required for salvation. So if that's where you're at this morning, my hope and prayer and goal is that the truths of God's word this morning would not only reinforce your faith and would not only equip you to more boldly and more clearly and more winsomely convey these truths, but my goal also is that this morning you would delight in the saving work of God through Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit for God's glory and for our joy. That we would worship as a result of these truths this morning. The second group that you may be in this morning would be made up of those who maybe you believe that Jesus is the only way to God, but you do not believe that conscious faith in Jesus is required for salvation. In fact, this is the position taken by a very famous evangelist of a previous generation when he argued that while Jesus is the only way to God, 
People of other faiths, he said, could be saved by Jesus without knowing anything about Jesus or the Bible. He argued that they could be saved by their own faith in their own religion, even if they were ignorant of the gospel. So we want to ask this morning, is that true? Others of you may be in the third camp. You don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. Maybe you don't believe that God even exists, or that Jesus existed, or that Jesus was actually the Son of God. Or maybe you take the approach promoted by the book The Shack that was popular about 15 years ago, which taught that Jesus isn't the only way to God, he just happens to be the best way to God. And therefore, it's meaningless to even go to the second question of conscious faith required for salvation because there are lots of ways to God of which Jesus is one. He just happens to be the best. And maybe that's where you land this morning. And we want to ask the question, is that true? I mean, after all, isn't it narrow-minded in our culture today to believe that there is only one religion that is correct? I mean, isn't it narrow-minded To believe that there is only one way of salvation and that conscious faith in Jesus in a man who lived 2,000 years ago is required. And that is the very definition of bigotry today. And isn't bigotry regarded by many in our society as the worst of all offenses? To say there's only one way and this is it and everyone else is wrong. And this is why this question is so important, because our eternity hangs on the balance of how this question is answered, the truth of this question. And our witness is in the balance, how we convey what we convey to a lost world hangs in the balance based on this question, is Jesus the only way to God, and if so, is conscious faith in him required for salvation? <clears throat> and so, to answer these questions, it's important to go back to Jesus' own words, to what Jesus actually said about his, himself. What did Jesus say about his identity? What did he say about his work? What did he say about whether or not he was the only way to God? And so to do that, we are going to go look at the Bible, which is our standard and our source of truth. And I realize that there may be a few of you here this morning or watching online who are thinking, okay, well, you're going to the Bible, so you're already presupposing some things about the Bible, but I don't even believe in the Bible. I don't even know if I can trust in the Bible. And so that's kind of outside the purview of where we're headed this morning, but I would just point you to some really helpful resources if that's where you're at. You'll see them on the screen. We have them in the bookstall. We have a few books. Why trust the Bible? By Greg Gilbert is a fantastic resource in helping us to understand why we can trust the Bible. Another resource that's in the bookstore, are you sure, 100% sure you want to be an agnostic? It walks through some of the claims of Scripture, some of the claims of the Bible, and kind of asks that question, are you sure, 100% sure you want to be an agnostic? Then Kevin DeYoung's classic work, Taking God at His Word. Why the Bible is knowable, necessary, and enough, and what that means for you and me. All three of these are excellent resources. All three of them are in the bookstall, unless they've sold out after first service. In that case, I've got three more up here. I'm sure the attendants would be happy to order more for you. Here's the deal. This is not an infomercial for selling things. 
if you go back there and one of these resources is helpful to you and would be needed and you're wrestling with this, go ahead and just, and you don't have the money for it or you don't want to buy something that you may not agree with, get it, take it and read it and tell them to put it on my tab in the back, okay? Because we want you to have these resources. That's what they are there for. So we, though, this morning are going to begin from the foundation of Scripture, and we're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of John. In fact, that'll be our primary text. And here, in chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his closest followers for his death and his resurrection, as well as his departure from them when he would go back to heaven. And so he comforts his followers with these words. Follow along in your Bible, beginning in verse 1, John 14, the word of the Lord says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus is about to leave them for a while, but not forever. One day he will return and take his followers to be with him forever. But it's at this point that Thomas, one of the 12 apostles, speaks up in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Thomas pipes up, maybe voices what others in the group are thinking, but no one is willing to say. Thomas says, um, excuse me, just a minute. Um, we know that you are going to the Father, but we're not sure how to get there, how to get where you are. Like, so how can we know the way to the Father? How can we know the way to get where you are? Which is a really important question. How do we know the way to the Father? How do we know the way to God? To which Jesus responds with these important words from verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice how definite Jesus is here. This is Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man. And he says with absolute authority, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Every word here is packed with meaning. For example, Jesus begins with I am Zechariah, one of our interns, helpfully pointed out this week that in the original Greek, Jesus' emphasis comes through really clear. In fact, if we were to translate this really literally, Jesus says something like this. It is I, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I, I, exclamation point, I am the way and the truth and the life. In his notes that he he wrote to me this week about this text, he wrote this, and I wanted to read it. He said, keep in mind that in each of the I am statements Jesus makes in John, Jesus is saying that he is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. 
He is saying that he is divine, that he is God, he is the Lord. Each I am statement is an illusion. We could remember back, couldn't we, to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And Moses is, is awestruck and he's wondering, who is this God who has appeared to me? And he asks God his name. You remember what God tells him? He says, say to the people, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me. And so, friends, when Jesus calls himself Lord, or could also be translated Yahweh, Jesus is calling himself the one who is and the one who is to come. He is referring to himself as the one who has existed before time began, as the one who created the world, as the one who has been actively involved in our redemption since eternity past. I mean, these words of Jesus are loaded with meaning, are loaded with implications. Jesus isn't just saying, yeah, I'm the guy who gets you to the Father. That would be true, but Jesus is saying so much more. He's saying, I am the Lord. I am the Yahweh, the one who is eternally existent, the one who created all things and sustains all things. I am the God of your redemption. In other words, Jesus is not merely the door by which we access salvation, right? If you go to the airport, you're going to be gone for a while, and so you park in, in like value parking, so you're like 40 miles from the airport, and you like lug all your gear, and you get on one of those buses, and then the driver like drives you to the airport and pulls you up to the gate. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I, he's not saying, you know, hop on, y'all. I'm the bus driver, and I will get you to God. I will get you to the Father. I will get you to salvation, if that's your destination, Jesus is saying, I am the salvation. I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life that you are seeking, that you're searching for, that you are desiring. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So in contrast to the message that says, well, there are many ways to God of which Jesus is one or Jesus is the best. Jesus' answer is an emphatic no. And in contrast to those who proclaim that all religions lead to God, that the only thing that matters is faith and being true to your convictions, Jesus once again simply adds an emphatic no. In fact, he couldn't be more clear. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. Now, we can talk about what this means for evangelism. We can talk about what this means for world missions and the implications that it has. And we plan to do that, Lord willing, next week. But we must begin with the clear 
incontrovertible message from the very lips of Jesus when he says, I am the Lord. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And as we will see, this is the clear, this is the consistent message of the Bible. And in fact, until the rise of liberal critical method and scholarship in Germany in the late 19th century, this was the almost universal teaching of Christianity for 2,000 years. That Jesus is the only way to the Father. And this is also the emphatic answer we get, not only from Jesus, but throughout the pages of Scripture For example, when Peter and John are brought before the Jewish high council to give an account for their proclamation of Jesus. So they're out preaching Jesus, crucified and risen as the only way of salvation. And the Jewish leaders don't like it. And so they grab Peter and John and pull them in. And now Peter and John are standing before the Jewish high court to give an account for their proclamation of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. They respond like this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, in reference to Jesus Christ. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Later, when writing to Timothy with instructions for the church, Paul writes this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not many mediators, not several, not a couple of good mediators, not a better one and some okay ones, but there is one mediator. So clearly, it wasn't just Jesus who believed himself to be the only way to the Father. The New Testament apostles did as well. Which brings us to a related question. That question is this. Why is Jesus the only way to God? Okay, Jesus said he was the only way to God, but why is Jesus the only way to the Father? I'm going to outline six reasons why Jesus is the only way to God. And we could spend like 45 minutes on each one. We're not going to do that. But I'm just going to hit the high spot, so I would encourage you just to write down some of the references that you'll see on the screen. Why is Jesus the only way to God? And we have to begin first with the fact that Jesus tells us so. Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus tells us he is the only way to God. And when God speaks, we listen. And it's authoritative, and it's right, and it's true. God has created all things, therefore the world and all that is in it belongs to God, God's creation, God's rules. He has determined how salvation would be accomplished and he has determined that salvation would be accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, where Paul is addressing some pushback that people are having to the fact that the sovereign God has determined of his own will how his His creation would function and structure and the trajectory of people's lives. And Paul is responding to the kind of self-willed, you know, self-centered idea that like, well, that's not fair. Like, we should be self-determining. And Paul's answer is to say, is what is molded? Well, will the molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Will the potter 
say, you should not have made me like this. No. The potter has the right over the clay. The molder has the right over that which is molded. And God, who is the creator of all things, can rightly decide how salvation will be accomplished and how his creation should operate. And he has determined that salvation would be accomplished through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us so. Secondly, why is Jesus the only way to God? Because Jesus is the only God-man. So Jesus is eternally existing. He had no starting point. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was not like day one of Jesus' life. Jesus is eternally existing with the Father. In fact, keep your finger in John chapter 14 and just turn to the left to John chapter 1. I want you to see this in your own Bible. John chapter 1. Say there when you're there. All right, most of you. A little lackluster there, but we'll go with it. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John is is using a word, a name for Jesus that might be a little bit unfamiliar to us if you're not real familiar with the Bible. And that word is word. (laughs) It's logos. So when you see in John chapter 1 the word word, in your Bible it's probably a capital W-O-R-D. It's referring to Jesus as the logos, the word, the true word, the true revealing of God in the flesh is through Jesus. It's the point that John is making. So if you see word, you could substitute Jesus, but just think that. Don't actually write that in, cross out word, because John had a purpose for writing word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, or Jesus, right? And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see that Jesus is eternally existing with the Father. He is God, that he is life. He doesn't just possess life or give life, but he is himself life, which corroborates with John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Skip down to verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Again, speaking of Jesus, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth so jesus is the eternal son of the eternal father he is co-equal with the father and no one else could accomplish our salvation why Because for our debt of sin to be paid for to a holy God, it would take a perfectly, infinitely holy substitute to stand in our place. And Jesus is that God-man. He alone is the only sinless human who is also fully God. 
Which brings us to our third reason why Jesus is the only way to God, and it's because Jesus is the only sinless human. So if our second point touched on his divinity, this third point touches on his humanity. Just look at verse 29 of chapter 1, probably maybe on the next page in your Bible. John, now writing of the day that he saw Jesus come to him to be baptized, John sees Jesus on the horizon approaching and then he says this to those who are gathered around him. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. All the way back, even in the Old Testament, the sacrifice that was required for the covering of sin was a perfect animal sacrifice. And on the Day of Atonement, a perfect lamb was slaughtered. So it is no mistake, then, that when John sees Jesus walk towards him, he says, look, everyone, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the perfect one, the spotless one, the sinless one, who has come not just to be a moral teacher, not just to be a leader, not just to be a religious zealot. He has come, in fact, to take away the sin of the world. Which is why the author of Hebrews would put it like this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus was the only sinless human. Thus, Jesus is the only way to God. Fourth, Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus alone died for sinners. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep which would lead Paul to write these words to the church in Rome. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Friends, Jesus alone died for sinners. He alone is the only way by which we can be saved. The only means by which we are made right with God because he died. He was the substitute that was required for our sin. And what's more, Jesus did not merely just die. Our fifth reason for why Jesus is the only way to God is because Jesus came back to life from the dead. 
And Jesus said in John 10, 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Friends, because Jesus is alive again and not still in a grave, we have hope. It's what Paul would call the first fruits of our own resurrection, the fact that we are now made alive in Christ. We have spiritually, as his children, been resurrected from the dead. And when Jesus Christ one day appears, when he comes back, we will receive resurrection bodies like his own. Sixth, sixth reason that Jesus is the only way to God is because Jesus alone saves us from our sin and reconciles us to God. Jesus alone saves us from our sin. Jesus alone reconciles us back to God. Listen to these statements from the Holy Son of God. John chapter 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, this is the reason I have come. from heaven to earth. This is the reason I was born in the flesh. The reason I am incarnate is so that I might do the will of the Father who sent me. You want to know what the will is of the Father who sent me? It's that I should lose none of what he has given to me. Because it's the will of the Father That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in the Son should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. We will not face eternal and ultimate death and separation from God. And on that last day, when we see him face to face, we will be resurrected anew. A little bit later in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see, friends, Jesus' mission on earth was to live in full obedience to the Father, to die as a substitute for sinners, to rise from the grave, accomplishing salvation for all who believe. And this he did. This he accomplished. This is why Jesus is the only way to the Father, because only Jesus could do this. Only Jesus could accomplish this work. Which brings us then to our final question, which is this, is conscious faith in Jesus required for salvation? Is it possible that Jesus is the 
the only way to God, but there is salvation for those who have never heard of Jesus, never heard the gospel, never read the Bible, never heard the Bible, are ignorant to Jesus and his work. The question is, is conscious faith in Jesus required for salvation? And the only answer the Bible allows us to give to that question is yes. Conscious faith is required. Conscious faith in Jesus is required for salvation. We've already seen that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. We have already seen that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that he alone is the reconciler of sinful people to the holy creator God. In fact, the the two scripture passages from John that we just looked at, and it's so clear, this is the will of the Father, John 6, that everyone who looks on the Son, not just everyone who has faith for faith's sake, not everyone who just has religion, not anyone who's just earnest, but everyone who looks specifically on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and believes not just for belief's sake, but everyone who believes in him should have eternal life. Friends, we are not saved by faith, in faith. We are saved by Jesus through faith. Faith does not save. Jesus saves. In fact, in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Not they follow religion or they follow their conscience or they follow good meaning faith. No, they follow me. Jesus could not be more explicit, more clear. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, we have what might be the clearest example of why conscious faith in Jesus is required for salvation. When the Holy Spirit writes through the Apostle Paul these words, because, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth That Jesus is Lord. Notice how specific that is, how conscious that is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's almost as though Paul anticipates the question, well, what about those who have never heard? Just some of what we'll get to next week. What about those who don't know the name of Jesus? What about those who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news? He continues, Romans 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And Paul does not say, you know what? If they've never heard the word of Christ, it's okay, 
as long as they just have faith in whatever they believe. Or as long as they just have faith for faith's sake. No. In fact, this is the whole rationale for evangelism and world missions is because the Bible is so explicit that there is only one way of salvation and that conscious faith in Jesus Christ is required for that salvation. And here's the thing. That statement is exclusive. It just is. And in our world that loves inclusivity and hates anything that even hints at exclusivity, that is really unpopular. But like it or not, or popular or not, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is incredibly exclusive and has been for 2,000 plus years. I mean, think about it. We serve a risen Savior who was executed for his exclusive claims. I mean, had Jesus just walked around the countryside saying, believe kind of whatever you want, believe however you want, believe in whom or whatever you want, as long as you believe, as long as you're earnest, as long as you're sincere, that's okay. God loves you and so do I, right? If he had said that, he would not have been executed. But he went to the cross because he said, I am the way and the truth and the life and I am the only way to the Father. And I and the Father are one. And so his followers, you and I, for over 2,000 years, have stood in that truth. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been martyred because we follow in the footsteps of a crucified and risen Savior. A Savior who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And who says, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here this morning and you are not trusting in the exclusive Savior, Jesus Christ, why not? I would urge you, I would plead with you to turn and trust in Jesus Christ today. The Jesus who is the Son of God, who became sin for us Dying in our place on the cross for our sin. Rising again from the dead for our new life, for our justification, for our own resurrection life. Trust in him today. Believe in him today. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead today. We've been praying this morning that in the first service and in this service, God would be doing that. He would be opening your eyes to see the wonder and the glory of God's saving work through Jesus and that there is no other way except through Jesus. That is the most glorious, most life-changing message you will ever hear. And it brings eternal joy, even sometimes in the midst of temporary suffering. And yet that is a very exclusive claim. And we live in a day and time when those exclusive claims will have us labeled as narrow-minded or bigots or unloving or uncaring. 
Which is why I think the words that Peter writes to a church in a day not very unlike our own are really important. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes to the church. He calls them beloved, which is great. I love that scripture writers call the church of Jesus Christ beloved. I may have to use that from time to time. Just so you don't think it's weird, you know where it comes from now. Like It's really weird calling us beloved. Beloved, and that's what we are, right, as the church of Jesus Christ, beloved of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a word that we need today. In our day and time when we face the resistance when it's unpopular. Brothers and sisters, we we need this word because following Jesus right now and following Jesus in not only 2022 but 2032 and likely 2062 means counting the cost. It means not being surprised when the fiery trials come on us. When co-workers Call us bigots or narrow-minded or exclusive because we say that Jesus alone is God. That there are not many ways to God, but only one. And in those moments, we ought to be prepared to stand in the consistent stream of the great saints of the church. Brothers and sisters who stood for the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Whether the times were favorable or whether the times were hostile. Because this is the only way of salvation that exists. If you, were, if you had a tragic experience of being in a room filled with people and it caught on fire, if you knew that there were 12 exit doors, all labeled exit door, but you knew that of the 12, 11 of them were, were just sealed shut on the other side or just led into a corridor that just led back into the room and only one actually was an exit door that led to the escape that led to salvation. It would not be unloving to say, that's not the right door. That door is wrong. It might look the same. It might seem the same. It might say that it's an exit, but friend, that is not an exit. In fact, the loving thing to do would be to point them to the true way of salvation. And that's what we are called to do. And if in the process of lovingly and graciously calling people to trust in Jesus as the only hope of salvation, we are labeled as narrow-minded or worse. Peter says we should rejoice in that suffering. We should rejoice in being insulted for the name of Christ because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon us. And because our rejoicing and our glory will be made all the more vivid and all the more wondrous when Jesus Christ appears. Which is what we long for. Because when we are following in the footsteps of our Savior Jesus Christ, as we are preparing to see him one day face to face, 
we will know with certainty on that day as we can know now that Jesus truly is the only way to the Father. And conscious faith in him is required for salvation. Would you stand with me?